everyone and welcome to episode 28 of the History Hotline. My name is Deanna Lynn Cook and I will be your host today as always. Today is our last episode in our series about black women as it is still Women's History Month. I feel like the month of March has been the longest month of the year so far, closely followed by January, which is always just feels like a million years long. Um, but, you know, it is our last week and we've covered quite a few topics um, regarding black women this month and I'm really happy um, at how the content has shaped this month and I am leaving on what I would like to think of as a high. I challenge you all to think about, you know, the episode today in regards to how, as historians and how, as a society, we preserve the lives of certain individuals in this country and how we have done and how we archive those lives, especially when, as black people, we've been deemed as second-class citizens, despite of where we might have come from. The fact that we are often perceived as second-class citizens, especially historically, has meant that, you know, records about our lives have not been archived in the same way that records about white people's lives, especially of upper classes and of, you know, notable professions. This won't be a complete episode in the same way you might be used to on this podcast, because there are so many gaps in this story due to the fact that this woman who I'll be speaking about today and her life has not been archived and protected historically in the way that it should have been. And whilst there is a lot of work being done right now to kind of reclaim her story and to, to be able to tell it in its entirety or as completely as possible, this has proven quite difficult. And so today we'll be talking about Princess Adenrele Ademola, who was a princess um, in Nigeria. Um, her title wouldn't obviously have been princess. Um, it's a language and translation, which we'll go into a bit later. Um, and she was also a nurse working within the healthcare system in Britain prior to the NHS um, being a thing. So this is in the 1930s prior to the Windrush generation um, arriving in Britain. And I really, really did want to share her story because it isn't of the Windrush generation. She's not a woman that came with those um, migrants from the Caribbean um, and later Africa. She came of her own accord in many ways. And she's not the only princess nurse um, to come to England as well. So we'll be discussing um, another princess, Princess Tashai, who was Emperor Haile Selassie's daughter. Um, and she was another um, woman that came to Britain to serve the people in the capacity of nursing. And there are many stories like this, because as we know, um, when we fast forward to the Windrush generation, a lot of black women came over to nurse Britain sick and vulnerable and were not really repaid or thanked for their for their work. And so let me not deflect too much from the topic at hand today. We will be getting into the life of Princess Ademrele Ademola shortly. Omo Oba Ademrele Ademola was the daughter of Aleke of Abeokuta, um, who was a significant king in the southern region of Nigeria. And after attending um, school in the UK in Somerset, having been obviously born in Nigeria, Omar Oba Adenrele Ademola, she began her life and career in Britain and began nursing and her career was said to have spanned over 30 years. And whilst a lot of this information um, was actually captured in a film called Nurse Ademola, um, the film was actually lost. It was produced by the Colonial Film Unit um, and because the film was lost, a lot of the information that we had on her was also lost. I wonder one day if it will ever be found, if it has been found, um, between, I don't know, you listening to this and me saying this. Um, but for now, it's it's lost. And 
the bulk of the information I'll be using today is from the National Archives, um, alongside a lot of historians of black history um, and then also community groups such as the Young Historians Project, who I must shout out and surprised I haven't shouted out before because they are just an exceptional group who are doing um, this work of locating the narratives and stories of significant black figures and black groups and organisations through British history. So these stories are beginning to resurface um, within the British, shall we say British consciousness? in regards to the history of, of black people in this country. And so uh, Princess Adamrele Adamola, um, she, you know, is a princess. She is the daughter of a king in Nigeria. And she balanced this role as a princess with the demands of her nursing career. Um, she had royal social events to attend to in Britain, whilst also, you know, being a nurse. And being a nurse, from my research, is probably one of the most physically and mentally demanding jobs I will say there are a lot of jobs that are really mentally demanding really mentally challenging and there are a lot of jobs that are solely physically challenging I would say but I think nursing is one of those jobs that is really both you are as a nurse you know caring for individuals at their lowest point their most vulnerable their weakest their sickest and you're putting yourself at risk of anything that they have you might be you know catching um, especially now we think about COVID and the pandemic and also you are physically on your feet all day. You are looking after people that might not be able to move themselves. And back in the day, you know, all these kind of porters we have now and all these mechanical beds that we have to move people around a hospital, those things didn't exist. Nurses would do that um, themselves. And a lot of the Windrush Generation stories that I've read in interviews always kind of said that it was backbreaking work because you were moving patients from bed to bed you were trying to make sure that they were comfortable um, and you weren't really supported by I guess the kind of staff that you would have today um, to do these roles so I'm thinking about the fact that this woman is a princess um, and which is said to be you know quite a prestigious role in a way of the pomp and circumstance of it all but then also she's really taking her nursing career so seriously and so I wanted to obviously highlight her life today in this episode. So she first arrived in Britain at the age of 22 in Plymouth and her landing records actually have kind of been found um, and archived at the National Archives. Um, she arrived on the 29th of June 1935. So this is, you know, many years before the Windrush. Um, this is pre-World War Two even. It's in those interwar um, years between the First World War and the Second World War. She resided at the Africa Hostel in Camden, um, which was actually established by the West African Students' Union, otherwise known as WASU, um, and it was a significant organisation for West Africans in Britain prior to, you know, the Windrush generation coming and organising and all their grassroots organisations and community groups that we've spoken about in past episodes. We have the West Africa Students' Union, who, you know, students tend to be some of the, I'd say, most serious and biggest political activists in any society or generation, and this was no different. And I think the space that she had within Wasu um, and the support she had as a black woman and an African woman in Britain at a time where there really weren't that many of them, she was able to kind of feel safe and have kind of a sanctuary in regards to this physical group and this physical space that she was able to inhabit in Camden at this hostel. 
And, you know, there were many other African students, visitors, and it was a base for West African people to come and, you know, see people that look like them, share stories with people that look like them. I'm sure they shared food, fellowship and all that kind of thing. There were social events, committees, um, and this was actually her, her address, her registered address, until she had to go back to um, Lagos in 1936 temporarily. And she went back, um, and obviously these are all recorded on her landing cards um, and her ship documents that have been located. And then she comes back to England in around 1937. Now, just some background about her. As I've said, she was a daughter of um, Aleke Ladapo Ademola II, um, and he was the Aleke of Abeokuta. And I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing any of these words wrong. Um, I am not um, a native to to Nigeria and I am I'm learning as I go and so you know the Aleke of Egbaland is a paramount Yoruba king I am I am told um and of the clan of Abiokuta in Ogun state which is in southwestern Nigeria and so um Princess Adenrele Anemola she is coming from this royal lineage um and still finds herself you know as a nurse in Britain probably dealing with racism, probably dealing with discrimination and prejudice that maybe the Windrush nurses of the years to come would have also faced. However, we don't necessarily have that in writing. We don't have her interviews or we don't have her actually saying this was the case or giving any examples of this because, as I said, that colonial film unit had um, the film Nurse Ademola, which showed and highlights her perspective as a woman going through the training process in London to become a nurse. Um, she's recorded as a midwife in several hospitals across London, so it wasn't just like she worked in one place. She moved around, she progressed, um, she was promoted through her training and so on and so forth. The fact that she is coming from West Africa and her name is obviously not an anglicised name, it's not an English name, and I think English people and the way that we categorise names in this country can often be quite problematic and very disregarding of other cultures who might have two surnames. There are many cultures in the world where people have two surnames. They're not double barreled they're just two separate words. However, there might not be a box for that on certain forms in this country. And so that's just an example. I'm not saying this is what exactly happened in this case. But when we look at um, the story of, of Princess Adinrele Ademola, and we have to understand and note, and the National Archives notes on their website, that there are actually five variations of her name which have been encountered, even on official records, which has confused how we locate her in the archives, because is that her? Is that someone whose name was like her? Is this another variation of her name? Have they put her surname as her first name and her first name as her surname as her middle name as her surname? <laughs> so, you know, there could even be, it could be five different women. It could be one woman and people have put her name down as different in each in each circumstance. And so, as I've said, this story is not going to be the full picture that you might have been expecting when you turn on this podcast today um, because it just doesn't exist. And I'm sure that, you know, the work that is being done to locate her in the archives will continue because it's a very important story, especially because it goes against, I think, this idea that black people were only in Britain after the Windrush generation, which if you've been listening to this podcast, you know is not true now, so I shouldn't even have to say it. Um, but I think it just highlights as well the kind of cultural significance of names and also that lack of significance when you get to Britain um, and names don't seem to mean as much in this time period anyway. Also, 
it highlights this idea of black people being second-class citizens. Because had she been a princess from a white country, she would have been in the archives. It would be clear. There would not be five women that could be her. I don't think, based on my past research, that the lives of black people historically were considered as significant as their white counterparts. And so, as I said, if she was white, would her records be held with more, uh, what's the word, importance, significance? I mean, I can't exactly say yes or no, but I can guess and I would say yes. So, you know, there's a lack of accuracy in her records, there's a lack of detail, there's a lack of preserving this history. As I said, they lost the film. You know, if this was a queen of princess of Geneva or Spain or some other European country, would they have lost the film? I don't know. But then we could also argue the fact that the film was made anyway highlights her importance. Not many people, black people, had a colonial unit film made about their life. Um, as a West African woman in the 1930s, this is quite significant. And I'm happy that somebody at that time understood the significance of this migration journey and this role that um, Princess Adenrella Adimola was taking on in Britain. So for this episode, instead of us thinking about this one woman's life, we have to kind of think about what she represents in regards to empire, in regards to Britain, in regards to nursing, healthcare, and how, you know, people from let's say, quote-unquote, colonies and the Commonwealth would come to this country to serve this country and the way that they were recognised and remembered, i.e. not really at all. And so, for me, um, Princess um, Adimola and Nurse Adimola, as she would have been known at work, is symbolic of something bigger than just herself and her role, even as a princess of royal blood. And I think it's important for us to understand, number one, the fact that these histories and black histories in Britain, they aren't necessarily, you know, not there. They're difficult to write about because the records might not be as accessible as the records of white people. And that is, I think, one of the things I've had to reckon with and understand as I have kind of gone through education, writing black histories or trying to at least and getting frustrated with, oh, you know, they didn't keep any records. Oh, there's nothing there. I can't speak about this person that I want to speak about or learn about. When in fact, the records are there. But for the case of black people, black women, we have to look in different places. And we don't always get the history in the same way as looking at a white man, for example, where we can tell you his whole life story from day to day. His diary entries, letters he wrote will have everything. In this case, we have to look at um, Princess Ademola as symbolic of a bigger movement of, of women moving to this country to serve um, of the Commonwealth, of colonialism, of royalty in other countries and what that meant in Britain. And so, yeah, don't take this episode as, a, oh, I, I didn't get to find out actually about Princess Adamola's life, Nurse Adamola's job, her role. I don't feel like I know much about her. Please take this episode as understanding the kind of symbolic nature of her life in regards to black people in Britain. I wanted to read out um, something that the National Archives have on Princess um, Adamola, Nurse Adamola, because I really think it, it just says in the most articulate way exactly what she represents that I can't really say in a, such an articulate form. So it says, Nurse Adamola testifies to the significance of Adamola's contribution to the national efforts as a nurse. Nurse Adamola was the film, by the way, um, that was done by the Colonial Office. So... 
Nas Adimola testifies to the significance of Adimola's contribution to the national efforts as a nurse, a glowing role model for the empire. It can also be assumed that the film examines the distinctive role and experiences of Adamola's life and service in Britain. But this is only an assumption, as the location of the Nurse Adamola film is unknown. Its absence is symbolic of wider historical absence of African women, even those of royal status. So I felt like that was necessary to read out because this idea that Nurse Adamola is, you know, symbolic of this wider historical absence of African women even those who are of royalty, which I've discussed um, and spoken about, I think, enough. But also this idea that she's a glowing role model for the empire, quote-unquote. This idea of empire, for me, is something negative. Um, It's something extractative, if that's a word. It's something that takes. It's not something that gives. It's something that upholds white supremacy and the inferiority of black and brown people on a global scale. It... I will never see empire as a positive thing. And the fact that, you know, Nurse uh, Adamola, Princess Adamola, is seen in this context as a role model for the empire. This film, Nurse Adamola, was played across Africa, West Africa, it was viewed. It was for the fact that Nurse Adamola was meant to be the blueprint, essentially, for what other African women and Caribbean women would do in their lives go to Britain to help out their quote-unquote mother country and be agents of empire and do the work that British people could not or would not do. And I find that highly problematic because the fact that this film was made, as I said about five minutes ago, oh my goodness, this is great, you know, someone thought to, to record this, it was propaganda. It was a piece of propaganda so that this idea of empire would be upheld and... The thing that I think Empire relied on most was labour and bodies. From the minute that the first African was kidnapped and taken to the Americas, taken to the Caribbean, taken to Britain or Europe, you know, that was a start of a movement of people and labour that the Empire would rely on for its, you know, hundreds of year history. And even to this day, we still rely on people coming to this country from X, you know, places of empire or the Commonwealth or, you know, countries that were economically, socially or culturally linked with Britain or other European states. We still, in this country, as Britain, rely on these people and these forms of labour. And whilst we're dressing up this idea of Princess um, Adamola as this princess who came to serve and, oh, how noble... That's exactly how the Empire would have pushed it. And I think it's very interesting that the National Archive note this and have it, you know, on their website that goes into the archival material that we have on Princess um, Adamola, which isn't much, but, you know, also does tell us enough to be able to bring forth this podcast, shall we say. Um, And so, yeah, that was something else interesting that I felt should be brought to the light in this episode. This is quite a strange episode, I will say. When I started recording, I didn't think we would get here. I thought we'd talk more about her life. But as I am speaking out loud and essentially just giving you all my thoughts, I'm thinking of it more as a symbolic movement of people and the start of something quite sinister and long-lasting. And, you know, following this week where, is it 90% of of doctors and nurses that have died um, due to COVID? 
were black or brown, um, coming from Africa, the Caribbean or Asia, or, you know, of the descendants of those people. That legacy of empire lives on today and it's a very exploitative one and it's not something I feel proud necessarily or happy about and don't really understand why people ever do. Okay, so I didn't think the podcast would go there and I'm going to bring it back to the life of um, Princess Ademrele Ademola because that's important, that's what we're gathered here today to talk about. So her life, you know, as I've said, we have that film that's now lost, however... We do have other materials, archive materials, that can actually trail her life and kind of see where she went, what she did um, as a nurse, which is also important because whilst we want to look at her as a symbolic figure, what that meant in regards to empire, we also want to look at her life, her experiences as an African woman in this country. And I think that's also important. So she arrives with her father, who is essentially a king, um, in 1937, and she's recorded as a midwife, which is a beginning of, you know, her records um, in the working world and in the nursing field because she is always listed as a midwife and you assume that most nurses that start off as a midwife, they don't often, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, change into different fields. You might work your way up the kind of midwifery promotional ladders and up the bands, but to go into then a whole other field like geriatric nursing or paediatric nursing, I don't know, I'm just saying words now, um, yeah, it would be very rare. So we start off knowing her as a midwife and we stick with this narrative. So in 1939, this is the start of World War II when we think about it, she's listed as part of the nursing staff at St. Saviour's Ward at Guy's Hospital. By 1941, she's a registered nurse at Guy's Hospital, assuming she's then passed her nursing exams after six years of training. From 1941, she moves between hospitals. She's um, recorded at Queen Charlotte's Maternity Hospital and then New End Hospital in Hampstead by 1942. Um, And it's said she would at that point have passed her Central Midwives Board exam. Um... The last sight of her in the archives is 1948 September. Her father, um, he abdicates the throne um, and she returns um, from Lagos with a man believed to be her husband, Timothy Odutola, who is a 46-year-old trader at that point. Um, she lists herself as a nurse on these records, living in Surrey. Um, she then moves to Balmoral Hostel in Queensgate Garden, South Kensington, in around 1949. So, you know, using archival materials and documents on her movement, we've been able to extract this very loose narrative of the hospital she would have worked at and the time in which she would have been a nurse, which we've said is about 30 years. So, you know, that film, we don't have. It's lost. I just can't even imagine how much information is on that film. However... Only through those archives are we able to reconstruct her life. Um, And all of that information was from the archives. So this idea, if anyone knows where this film is, this is, you know, a PSA. Maybe it's in West Africa. Maybe it's in someone's garden. Maybe someone has it and they don't actually know what it is. And it's actually the film. Maybe we'll never find it in my lifetime. And that's fine. Because as I've said, whilst we can only loosely construct her life um, and her experiences, we can assume, but not ever really know. We can also see her as a symbolic figure of a representation of this propaganda that would have been used to uphold this idea of empire and European supremacy. So not only is that kind of all we have time for, but it is essentially all we have 
on Princess Ademrele Ademola. And I don't even have a date for her death. Now, that could just be because I haven't looked hard enough. But she would be about 103 today if she was alive. But I don't actually know if she is or not. I doubt it. Um, I think we would have heard about her. But then you just never know in this country sometimes. I just feel like the lives and stories of black women are really just not present enough for my liking. And so, you know, I bring her to you. I also bring Princess Tashai, as I mentioned at the start, who is the daughter of Emperor Haile Selassie of um, Abyssinia, which is obviously now Ethiopia, born in 1919. And she also came to Britain as a nurse in 1936 um, when Italy were, you know, doing their nonsense in Ethiopia and trying to colonise. Um, she fled um, to, for her safety um, and came to Britain and practised as a nurse. And so... You know, these stories are not uncommon necessarily for royalty um, in Africa and on the continent for these women to come to Britain um, to work as nurses, to train and to take these skills. And so, yeah, I wanted to highlight um, Princess Tashai as well as Princess Ademrele Ademola, even though we don't have bags and bags of knowledge and history and we don't have necessarily people speaking about these women we don't have people's testimonies or interviews with them we can still take from these histories something symbolic and something representative of a wider narrative of empire um, and gender and race so I hope you enjoyed this episode it wasn't the usual episode I will say let me know if you liked it if you want me to go back to these histories where I know every single fact and a fun fact and um, some extra information from one archive or another I can do but if you like this episode please let me know please give us a follow on Twitter on Instagram uh, we have podcast platforms on Spotify on Apple and on Google um, and we have a YouTube channel which is it's in the process of becoming something um, I am you know debating the direction I decided to start taking it in um, and so we might see changes there we might see movement we might see new episodes, different content, because I thought, is there any point in me putting exactly the same content on YouTube that already exists on Spotify? And I'm debating that question in my head every day. So stay tuned for what could be posted on there in the next few weeks. Um, and apart from that, I hope you have a wonderful week and have a great day wherever you're listening, whenever you're listening, if you're listening at the time of its release or far, far into the future. Thank you so much for listening and always supporting the History Hotline. It is my pleasure to make these episodes for you all and I hope you are continuing to learn. Thank you. Bye.